Is it Christmas yet? Maybe uh, you've heard a young child, maybe your child has been saying that. Is it Christmas yet? Um, well, and maybe you've replied and said, well, not yet. It's not Christmas until the 25th, obviously, okay? But that's maybe confusing to a child, perhaps, because the evidence of Christmas is all around us, and it has been for weeks and weeks and weeks, actually. They're getting in earlier and earlier, aren't they, with the Christmas advertising. Our homes have been decorated. Our streets are, are twinkling with Christmas lights. Radios are playing Christmas songs, and Christmas movies are streaming on our televisions. Um, we've been singing Christmas carols. We've been lighting candles for the last few weeks. We're already celebrating Christmas. Maybe you've already had your work's Christmas do. You know, we're celebrating Christmas. We're already enjoying it, aren't we? Even though it's not Christmas Day yet. Well, it may not be Christmas Day, but it is Christmas time. Um, we, we could say this. We're, we're living in the already but not yet of Christmas. It's already here, but also not here yet. And in many ways, that's sort of the experience of the Christian life too, isn't it? We live in the already but not yet of our salvation, let's say. We have salvation now, you know, God has forgiven us, we, we know his love and so on, but we're not yet fully saved, are we? We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 14, at uh, every spiritual blessing we have in Christ, as Paul says there. And even here, we've noticed from time to time that some of these blessings are not yet fully realized in our lives, uh, particularly what we will we'll kind of continue looking at today in verses 13 and 14. Uh, last week we saw what it meant to be sealed with the Spirit. Uh, those who have believed the gospel of truth about Jesus have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Godhead. Uh, being marked as belonging to God. You are mine. That's what that seal sort of means. We have God himself personally dwelling in us, in our hearts, by his Holy Spirit. But uh, the seal of the Spirit, as it says there, has an important meaning for the future as well. Verse 14 tells us, uh, which way we're going to focus today, more about the Spirit's work as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and securing for us our redemption. The not yet redemption. So this is where we're going to finish our series. We're going to see how the Spirit is someone we can enjoy now, but the fullness of that is still to come. So a few things I want us to see. The first is this, that the Spirit is our portion. The Spirit is our portion. The Spirit is a deposit of our inheritance, meaning he's a portion of what is to come, which is nothing less 
than God himself. So look back at verse 14 again. What does it say? It says the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, uh, that English version there uses two words, deposit and guarantee, to translate what is actually just one word in the Greek, arabon, which simply means a a down payment or a deposit. But, But a deposit has the effect of guaranteeing something. So this is why the NIV here uses these two words to capture those two ideas. So let's just focus on that first word, though, for for a moment. The spirit as a deposit, a deposit. Now, I'm sure lots of you have had to pay a deposit on something. Uh, Maybe it's to buy a house or renting a flat. Maybe it's on a, a car or a flight or some online product. You've had to pay a deposit. A deposit is a payment of part of a purchase price in advance. That's a lot of P's, right? Let me say that again. A payment of part of a purchase price in advance. It's giving some of the money up front with the intention to pay the full amount later. A little bit now, more later. We could call it a portion of the full amount. So Paul says, uh, this is what the Holy Spirit is like. An arabon, a deposit of our inheritance, a portion of the full inheritance. But that means, and you could almost miss this, that if the Spirit is a portion, then the full inheritance must be the fullness of God himself. There's echoes of this, even uh, through Ephesians. So if you were to turn over to chapter 3 of Ephesians, look at verse 16. Uh, Paul is praying, and look at how he prays here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul prays that by the Spirit, Christ would dwell in our hearts, in his love, and so we would be filled with all the fullness of God. In Christ, by the Spirit, we are receiving God. God is our inheritance. We get God. We get his glory, his life, his righteousness, his power, his love, and so on. And we have a portion of that now, already, by the Spirit. We get a little foretaste of heavenly realities now. We get a whiff on the air of the buffet before we arrive at it. We get to um, lick the bowl of the cake before we actually taste the whole thing. Do you see what I mean? We get a foretaste of the fullness 
Another way to say this is that we are heirs. H-E-I-R-S. We're heirs. An heir is the one who is entitled to receive that inheritance. And, and we as Christians are made heirs in Christ the Son. Jesus is the heir of all things. In Hebrews 1 verse 2 it says he is the heir of all things. He is given everything the Father owns. He's the heir. But now we are heirs with him, in him. Romans says we are co-heirs with Christ. So, so we share in that inheritance that comes to the Son. That means we've begun in part now to reign with him. Sharing in his eternal life, in his glory, in his power, in his love. We receive everything the Father has given to Jesus. I mean, that's, it's hard to get your head around. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, again, I wish we had time to explore this in real depth. It's, it's a massive subject. But let's just think about this portion, this foretaste of our glorious inheritance now. Um, because we're talking really here about life in the Spirit. What does it mean to live a life in the Holy Spirit? And we could go to places like Romans 8 or Galatians 5 to sort of learn more about it. We touched on it last week too. Let's just pick a few examples from Ephesians itself. First here in chapter 1, in verse 17, it talks about um, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we receive so that we may know Christ, know God better. The wisdom and revelation of God is Jesus Christ. To know him is to have the truth. We saw this last time. To have Jesus is the, is the key to unlocking the meaning and purpose of the universe. Uh, to have the spirit then is to know the life-changing truth about reality in Christ. So Christian, if you have the spirit, you have the key to everything. Secondly, in chapter 3, verse 16, it means having strength and power. In chapter 6, verse 10, that means a power that equips us to stand against the devil's schemes, it says. So through the Spirit, we have the power. Now, power to resist sin and, and serve God. And by the Spirit, in that battle, in that resisting, we are given a weapon. What is the weapon? It's, it's the sword of the Spirit, it says in, in chapter 6, verse 17, which is the Word of God. We have the Word. A Spirit-filled, empowered life is a Word-filled life. That's a powerful life. Thirdly, Ephesians 4, verse 3, talks about um, the unity of the church in peace, in the Spirit. That's a foretaste of the fullness to come. We, we get to enjoy unity together by the Holy Spirit. A fourth thing is in Ephesians 5 verse 18, we're to be filled with the Spirit, it says, which will be evident then in our praise, 
our thanksgiving and the way we encourage one another. Our praise and thanksgiving now is a foretaste of our perfect praise and thanksgiving in the future. So these are some some aspects of the life in the spirit now, a foretaste of, of heavenly realities now. And there's much more we could see, but this is something of that portion we have by the spirit now. We could talk about the spirit as comforter to us. As guide to us, and so on. A portion in the spirit, we have a portion of the life and glory of God now. But you may be sat there thinking, well, it doesn't always feel like it, <laughs> does it? I mean, his presence and work, it's sometimes subtle, and we are longing for the fullness of. I, I want more of that life of heaven in me now. I want to be filled with more of the Spirit. Are are you longing for it? And maybe we're asking, will it ever come? Can we be sure of this? Well, this brings us to that second word, guarantee. He's a deposit, but he's also a guarantee. Well, let's say the Spirit is God's pledge. The Spirit is God's pledge. As a deposit... The Spirit is also a guarantee we will receive this inheritance in full. So verse 14 again. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Well, when you pay a deposit on something, you might also be making a pledge or a promise that you're going to pay the full amount as well. You know, you're paying a little bit now and you're saying, look, here's the first installment so that I'm to show and prove to you that I'm good to pay the rest. It's a guarantee. But it also acts to secure that thing, whatever it is, as belonging to you now. If you pay a deposit on something, that now is, is as good as yours. It means it can't be sold off to anybody else. Your deposit has secured that thing as your own. So this uh, Uh, This is what the seal of the Spirit means for us. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. The one who secures us as God's own possession. This is that idea. We're coming back to a spirit as a seal. A seal, remember, identifies something as belonging to someone. We saw this last week. It it secures it as their own. It's like that, that king's seal on his ring marked on his own property or possession. It's like your name written on your pencil case. That seals it, binds it, it's yours, belongs to you. But with that seal comes security. There's protection. Who would dare touch your stuff if it's got your name on it? Well, actually, your name probably doesn't mean very much, does it, like mine, right? It doesn't bear a lot of weight. Not like the king, not like God. Who would dare touch what God has sealed, what God has marked out? That is mine. Who would dare touch it? Who could snatch it away from his hand and his possession? Who would dare touch us? No one. No powers or principalities. No force of evil. No prison. No chains, not even death itself 
can separate us from his love, from his reach, from his rescue. And so certainly you will receive your inheritance in full. It's guaranteed by God himself. You don't believe God will pay up? That he isn't true to his word and his pledge? That he does not or cannot keep his promise? Even a poor man might be able to afford the deposit, and that, but that's no guarantee he can pay the full amount. But a, but a wealthy man? A Bill Gates? Doesn't he have abundant riches that makes his guarantee a certainty? How much more? The riches of God. Friends, we are poor, aren't we? What, what can we do to secure our own inheritance, our own salvation? Does it depend on you to receive it? Or do we have to rely entirely on the grace and power of God Almighty to give us our full salvation? Have we not seen that again and again in this passage? It's really very little to do with us. It is God who chose you, who predestined you, who by his grace gave you faith and repentance, who adopted you, who now holds on to you. Preserving, protecting you until the end. Are we saved by God's grace? But then we must keep ourselves saved by our own efforts. Well, certainly we must live out, we work out our salvation, don't we? We're not idle in our Christian lives, as if the way we live doesn't really matter. In fact, we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says that. Our sin, our disobedience, the misuse of these bodies, these vessels, which is his temple, certainly grieves him. And the spirit, he will seek to convict us and to rebuke us and to gently and patiently change us. If you've ever felt convicted by your sin or troubled by your sin, that's another sign of the spirit's presence in your life and his work. But we cannot lose him. And he will not lose us. The seal of the Spirit is our guarantee. God's pledge that there is no sin, no devil, no evil, no power, no enemy that can snatch you out of his hand. Can God erase his seal upon you? Cancel the deposit? Revoke the guarantee, break his promise, withdraw the spirit, keep the inheritance. Because to do so would lessen his praise and forego his glory. It's all there in our text, it says, to the praise of his glory. This brings God glory to do this, to keep his pledge to you. That's why you can trust this guarantee. If you believe the gospel of Jesus today, then you have the seal of the Spirit. Sealing is believing, we saw last time. And if you have the seal, you have a deposit of your inheritance to come. And if you have that deposit, you have a guarantee as well. It will come in full. You can trust him to keep you to the end. But our verse ends with one final thought, doesn't it? 
Not that God is our possession, which is true. He's our possession but and our inheritance. But also here, that we are God's possession. He's our possession, but we are his possession. This is the last thing to see. The Spirit seals God's possession. He seals us until the day of redemption when God will finally and fully have his possession. Look one more time at verse 14. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We are sealed, we are kept secure and safe in Christ until our redemption as God's possession. I've mentioned Ephesians 4.30 already. Look there with me. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The seal of the Spirit preserves us, as we've seen, until the day of redemption. So let's break this down a little bit so we can see its importance. Let's focus on that phrase, until our redemption. We've already seen this though, haven't we? What's he talking about here? In verse 7, we've already looked at this. Our redemption, it means that we've been freed from our slavery and bondage to sin. That freedom was bought with Christ's own blood when he died on the cross. That's the ransom price for our freedom. So we're already redeemed. That's true. We are already free from sin. It no longer has power, reign over us. But here, though, it looks like our redemption is still yet to come until our redemption. But here, what we're seeing is that already and not yet aspect of our salvation. Like the seal of the Spirit, we we have him now, but there's more to come. So in redemption, we have freedom from sin's reign and power now, but we're still waiting, aren't we, to be finally and fully liberated from all of sin's effect. In Romans chapter 8, which we read from at the beginning, it's all about that chapter. It's all about our life in the Spirit. And it says in verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's that foretaste, that portion of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That the fullness of redemption there is the redemption of our bodies, the freeing of our bodies. Uh, earlier in chapter uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, who, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So, so the redemption of God's possession in Ephesians 1 verse 14 means nothing less than resurrection. That's what we're waiting for resurrection don't you want that freedom how many how many times have you complained this week about another ache or another pain another note comes through another doctor's appointment how many of you this week have felt the weakness of the flesh the heart is willing but the body is weak you 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 are longing for freedom from this shell redemption is coming and it means resurrection 
the redemption of our bodies, the freeing of our bodies, physical resurrection life in new and glorified bodies like Jesus, in a new and glorified creation. Wow, let's just, let's just let that sink in. Resurrection. Isn't that what we're groaning for and longing for? Freedom from this world of decay and weakness and death. Freedom to live a new life in Christ through resurrection. Our brother Neil, who we were remembering early on, we'll remember him tomorrow. Even he still doesn't have his full redemption. He has a bit more of it. But even Neil now is waiting with us for full redemption, for the resurrection to come. That day of redemption is yet to come. When Christ returns, then we will be raised with him. Until then, we wait patiently, eagerly, longingly, but it will come. That's been guaranteed. Until the redemption of God's possession. Let's just think about that last word, just very briefly, really. I'm not going to say much about this, but that idea of possession. We get God, he is our inheritance, so to speak, but we are truly his. His possession. He has bought us, it says, at a price. You are not your own. You belong to him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we are a people for his own possession. God owns us. God owns you. Your life is not your own. We belong to him. We are his treasured possession, in fact. What a blessing this is. What a blessing this is. I belong. <laughs> I belong not to myself and not to you. I belong to him. He owns me. He has me. What a blessing. God has sealed me, purchased me, guaranteed me as his own possession. Again, this is the purpose of all things. The plan and direction of everything in the universe that we've seen already in Ephesians 1 is all leading to this moment where God and Jesus finally get to have us forever. Where we will be, when we will be his and he will be ours. That day is coming soon, folks. The day of redemption, of freedom and liberation. Freedom from sin Freedom from death forever. Receiving our full inheritance at last. The fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, take heart. We do have hope. We do have reason for joy. Don't we? The blessings, all these blessings we have in Christ. May, may I ask you, dear friend, uh, do you have this hope? Where is your security? What are you looking to that's going to fix this world? Where's your hope? Where's your security? What are you trusting in? Yourself? Government? What is your inheritance? Will it be this kind of life we've been glossing on today? Life in the Spirit of God. You know, it can be yours this morning. If you believe what you have heard, that Christ can redeem you from your sins,
by his own blood shed on the cross, that Christ, through his own resurrection, will give life to our mortal bodies as well. That could be yours this morning. Won't you come to him? Won't you come and receive? So let's take heart. Let's have hope. It's not Christmas yet, but we're already celebrating. It's not our redemption in full yet, but we're already enjoying something of it now. We're already free. Our inheritance isn't here in full. We're we're waiting for it, but we already have a portion of it now in the spirit, a foretaste of what is to come. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, let us live our life in this Holy Spirit who has been given to us, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And let it all be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together.